Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Again, welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church and to our series, The Songs of Jesus. A series in which we've been plugging in the playlist of the Psalms, a playlist of the songs that both shaped Jesus' life and that Jesus came to satisfy. In the hopes that as we plug this playlist in, these songs that shape Jesus' life would shape our lives as well. So far, we've worked our way through books one, two, and three of the Psalms, and today come to book four, a turning point in the story they tell. So turn with me, if you have a Bible, to the Psalm that opens book four to Psalm 90. And I'll begin by reading it again, Psalm 90, just about in the middle of your Bible. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 17. This is God's Word. It says this, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70. Or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the 
favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray today as David prayed before me. That you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. On April 3rd, 1968, a man in Memphis, Tennessee, stepped up to a pulpit for the last time in his life. And he said this, something is happening in Memphis. Something is happening in our world. Trouble is in the land. Confusion all around. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And I see God at work. He said, we've got some difficult days ahead. But really, it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And He's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people, He said, will get to the promised land. And I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. For mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. April 3rd, 1968. And on April 4th, the life of Martin Luther King Jr., was clipped short by a bullet. And yet, 50 years later, Dr. King continues to show up when we as a nation seem to need him most. Because as one guy put it, Dr. King may have been gunned down, but not the dream. The bullet could have the man, but it couldn't clip his wings. And if you listen closely, you can still hear him sing, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we will someday be free at last. So though dead, A man like Martin Luther King continues to show up and speak when we as a nation need him most. At Ferguson, Baltimore, Charlotte, and Chicago. 
But today I want to talk to you not about Martin Luther King or his message for our nation today, but about another man who likewise showed up when his nation needed him most and continued to speak long after he was dead. I want to talk to you today about a man named Moses, the author of this psalm. And isn't it interesting that he shows up here in the storyline of the psalm? Because remember, they're telling a story about a promise made to a king named David about one of his sons who would someday reign in his place. That that everybody came to think was his son Solomon. But at this point in the storyline, they already discovered and we've discovered as well that Solomon was nothing but a disappointment. And this supposedly promised king had done nothing but get God's people kicked out of the promised land. That's where we left off last week in Psalm 89. Disillusioned, disenchanted, and disappointed. So isn't it interesting that here, when the people of God were once again living under foreign occupation, under foreign law, as slaves once more in a foreign land, that who should show up long after he was dead? But this man named Moses. Perhaps when they expected it least, but nonetheless, when they needed it most. I want to talk to you today about Moses, the man of God, as he's called here, who who in the storyline of the Psalms shows up to lead the way back to the promised land, but whose message on the way is maybe not what you would expect. Because on the way back to the pleasure of the promised land, Moses' prayer is that for God's people, the purpose of the pain would not be lost. That going back to the promised land, they would learn the lesson of having been kicked out. That it was the very pain of being away from God that had the purpose of drawing them back. So let's listen to this message from Moses who who speaks first about the pain and then second about its purpose. First, let's look at what he says about the pain of being away from God. And Moses gets at this by drawing a contrast between the eternality of God and the frailty of man. This is what causes the pain, this contrast between on the one hand a God who is forever and on the other a humanity damned to the moment. 
So Moses begins at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Whether a refuge from our enemies or an oasis from the sun. You have been our dwelling place. That before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. That he's always been there. And been there for his own. Because if ever there was a refuge to be had, that refuge was to be found in him. It was there to be found yesterday, today, and forever. As the hymnist Anne Steele said back in the 1700s, Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. And yet, while God has been forever and been there forever as a refuge for his people, his people have not forever been found in him. So Moses must admit, verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. The word man here is not for nothing. Because at least in the second instance, the, the word behind this is the word Adam. So that Moses is almost certainly thinking here, not of man in general or of men at the exclusion of or as opposed to women, but of the first man. Who who having been created to live under this eternal God and, and know his eternal refuge as his own. That because of his disobedience to God, lost that refuge for himself and for all mankind who came after him. A story that no one knew better than Moses because Moses was the one who recorded it. So he says, you return man to dust and the children of man to the stuff out of which that first man was made. That was the first exile, the first loss of that promised land when unwilling to live for God, Adam and Eve lost for them and lost for us afterwards the ability to live with God forever. So that though verse 4 A thousand years in your sight, God, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. For us, as you persist, God, how many of us during that same time perish? Because while you, God, are eternal, we are not. Two people every second. A hundred plus every minute. Six thousand 
an hour. And 24 times that in a day. From dust we were made. And to dust we return. That's the pain. The pain of being outside the promised land. Because when Moses led that people for the first time out of slavery in Egypt towards salvation in the promised land, it wasn't supposed to be for just a moment. It was supposed to be. The hope was it was going to be forever. And yet now, verse 5, he says, you sweep them away as with a flood, just like Noah. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, yet in the evening it fades and withers. You know, all that, those hot summer days that, that seem so far off, they're coming, they're going to be here soon, and your grass by the end of this summer is going to wither like it always does. And that's the picture of us. That's life. Flourish in the morning. Fade by the time dinner's on the table. It's a picture of us. Out from under the showers of God's presence. And we brought it on ourselves. For Moses says, verse 7, we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. Why? Because you have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Not even the public ones. It's the secret ones that are set in the light of God's presence. So our days, he says, pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. I don't know what this sounds like. I don't think it's like a Valentine's Day sigh. Like a, oh. I think it's like a deathbed kind of sigh. Like a rosebud. says we live 70, maybe 80 years if we're strong. Yet even those are toil and trouble and soon gone and we fly away. I used to love that song, that old spiritual, when, when I die, hallelujah, by and by. That's not what Moses means. And so now I don't know so much. I don't want to fly away. Yet this is what we're left with when we're left to ourselves. That's the pain. But Moses doesn't show up in the storyline of the Psalms simply to remind us of the pain, to further the disillusionment and 
further the disenchantment and further the disappointment. He doesn't come to just push on book three. He comes to push against it. He shows up to lead us back to the promised land with the surprising message that there is purpose in the pain. So first, the pain, now its purpose. That it is the very pain of being away from God that has the purpose of drawing us and driving us back. Which is why Moses prays that on the way back we would learn the lesson and remember the lesson and live by the lesson of having been kicked out. That the lesson wouldn't be lost on us. See, Moses asked in verse 11, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And the answer he assumes, by way of the way in which he asks it, is nobody. Ain't nobody does this on their own. Ain't nobody sits around considering God's anger or operating out of a fear of him. And yet we should, because lack of fear is what landed our forefather, Adam, and landed us in the predicament in the first place. And it's what has perpetuated the problem ever after. Because you want to live in God's world, you got to live in it God's way. Let God be God and not try to be God for yourself. you got to live with a fear of God in your heart, with a reverence for who He is and an awe of who you can't be. But we don't do that by ourselves. We don't even do that naturally now. Not in the midst of pain or pleasure. So we might turn to God in our need, and there's a great use for pain in that, but our nature tells us to turn, not to seek mercy from a pain that we do deserve, whether or not we caused it, but to turn seeking vindication from a pain we're pretty convinced we don't deserve. That we turn much more like a Jonah thinking God should have done me better than like the Ninevites. Thinking guilty as we are, we don't have anywhere else to turn. And who knows, maybe God might just relent from giving us what we do deserve. I mean, be honest. When you go to a funeral, what's running through your mind? And how much more pervasive are the thoughts that this shouldn't have been? And God could have done me better. Rather than, oh God, look at the end at which I am aimed, at which we were all aimed, having brought this upon ourselves. Not maybe the particular, but that we deserve just as much. Moses says no one thinks like that on their own. 
which is why he prays, and so he prays. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us. We need to be taught this. That that we would know the frailty of mankind as we follow in the footsteps of the man Adam who came before. Teach us to number our days and to recognize that the frailty of man the frailty of humanity before the eternality of God and our being kicked out of the promised land in the first place is the result of having walked away from God as much as it is at the same time meant to be what brings us back, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Solomon, in his old age, famously said to a son of his, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But long before that, Moses said, you want to fear the Lord and, and get the wisdom that comes from it, start by looking at your frailty. That's what it's there for. Because it is the very pain of being away from God that has the purpose of drawing us back. Because the pain is what draws us to look, not for a a vindication that we think we deserve, but for the mercy that we should admit that we don't. And only then, after asking that the purpose of the pain not be lost on God's people, that that on their way back they would learn the lesson and remember the lesson and live by the lesson of being kicked out. Only then does Moses ask the Lord, verse 13, to return and to have pity on his servants. To to satisfy in the morning when the grass will flourish again. And to make his people glad for as many days as they were afflicted, he says, and for as many years as they witnessed evil. And for God to establish by God's grace, by God's favor, the work of their frail hands for eternity. Only then. You know, there's not many people in the Bible who have the audacity to ask God to his face to return and to have pity. It it maybe doesn't seem like much, but this isn't typically something God does. These words don't show up that often. to turn back and to relent of something that he's already decided to do. Times there are those who wonder if he might. You can think here of those Ninevites or of the prophet Joel. But in fact, there is only one man who ever asks God to do so to his face. 
Who? This same man, Moses, back on that first journey from slavery in Egypt toward salvation in the promised land. It was on that journey when Moses was up on a mountain that God's people wandered away from him just about as far as anyone ever had. It was like Adam and Eve all over again. Serving other gods, ultimately only serving themselves. So much so that God said to Moses on that mountain, let me alone, let my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But here's how the story unfolds in Exodus 32. It says, but Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn or return from your burning anger and relent, have pity from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham. Remember Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever and guess what says the Lord did precisely that says the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken and eventually brought that people to the land to which He was bringing them. There's not many who have the audacity to stand up and ask God to his face to return and relent. But Moses did it once. And in God's great providence, he shows up again in the storyline of the Psalms to ask God to do it once more. But before making like this is all about Moses, we need to remember that as much as this was his message, he couldn't ultimately carry it out. That that it was God who had to do it. Just like it's God who has to teach us to number our days. God who brings us back through the pain. God who satisfies and sets us in the land and establishes for eternity the work of our frail hands. That while it may have been Moses' message, he couldn't any more than Martin Luther, king after him, ultimately bring it about. And that as much as they each stood in turn on the mountaintop, 
and looked over into the promised land that it is only God who can bring us in and does so through the King of Kings, which this book is all about, Jesus Christ, His one and only Son. And on that, let me leave you then with this. As you long for and look forward to that return to the promised land, to the day God will turn back and take pity on his people once and for all, taking what Jesus has done and driving it, bringing it toward completion. That as you look forward to the day, don't in the meantime so despise the pain that you miss its purpose. It's a good thing to look forward to the day that God will set all wrongs to right. But often we become so focused on what God's gonna do that we miss what he's doing right now. And in part, what he's doing precisely through the pain we so often so despise. See, God's powerful enough that he could do what he's going to do without even the snap of a finger. He doesn't need no gauntlet. doesn't need no infinity stones. The Avengers ain't got nothing on him. That's the comic characters. He could do it with just a word. And since he hasn't, though, it reasons, it stands to reason that he has a reason. It stands to reason that he's got a reason, and at least according to Moses, that the purpose of the pain and why God allows it to persist and doesn't just say the word is that on the way back to the pleasure of the promised land and the one we are going to take our pleasure in, to the pleasure of his presence, the pain of being away from God in that most significant sense is precisely what draws us back. So before you pray it away, pray with Moses that through it you'd gain a heart of wisdom to live in God's world, God's way, even as you wait for him to say the word and make it right again. Pray that every broken relationship, pray that every tear spilled for your spouse, every heartache caused by your kid, that all the funerals and all the fallouts, all the hearings and all the headlines, that every disaster and disappointment would draw you back to the one for whom you were made. And that out of that and in the meantime, 
God would take your frail and feeble works and establish them for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a lot easier to hear Moses say it than to say it for ourselves. But in a sense, I guess that's why we get to thank you for putting it in your word in the first place and guiding us through him to be able to say it for us too. And so I pray that all the deep, often indescribable experiences of pain that are represented even between us in this little town and this little part of our country. Pray that even those would fulfill their purpose in drawing us back to you. And I pray you'd do it to both increase our longing for the day you're going to make it all right again and to increase our wisdom as we seek to live rightly before you for now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe there's no one better to show up when you're living outside the land and looking forward to it again than this guy named Moses, the man of God. Thank God that even Moses was looking forward to somebody better and that we now have someone better in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.